This podcast contains explicit and violent content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. On April 20th, 1999, two students entered their school armed with guns and a plan that would forever change the way we think about school safety and youth violence. This is a story of tragedy, resilience, and the ongoing quest to prevent such senseless acts of violence. Dave Sanders was more than just a teacher. He was a beloved figure in the tight-knit community of Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. Born on October 22, 1951, he grew up in a family that instilled in him a strong sense of duty, compassion, and dedication to others. Dave's journey in education began early in life. He discovered his interest in teaching and mentoring while attending the University of Northern Colorado, where he pursued a degree in education. His natural charisma and enthusiasm made him a favorite among students and colleagues alike. Dave joined the staff of Columbine High School in 1974. When he arrived, he personified the community. Over the years, he became known for his commitment to his students. He taught typing, keyboarding, business, and economics, but his passion was coaching. He coached the girls' basketball team, and he was dedicated to the job, working late during the week and even coming in on weekends. As a father of three, Dave balanced his roles as an educator and a family man with grace and dedication. He was known for his infectious sense of humor, always ready with a joke to brighten someone's day. On the morning of April 20th, 1999, Dave was in a rush. He was running late and had no time for breakfast. He even forgot to kiss his wife Linda goodbye, something he always did. He realized it once he was already in his car. He made eye contact with her and blew her a kiss from the driveway. Dave then made his way to the school for what he thought would be a normal day. Rachel Joyce Scott was born on August 5, 1981 in Denver, Colorado. She was the third child of Beth Nimmo and Daryl Scott. From a young age, Rachel was known for her deep faith and a profound desire to make a positive impact on the world. Rachel's Christian faith was central to her life. She attended churches at Orchard Road Christian Center and often shared her beliefs with friends and family. Her strong spirituality guided her actions and interactions with those around her. She once wrote in her journal, I have this theory that if one person can go out of their way to show compassion, then it will start a chain reaction of the same. People will never know how far a little kindness can go. In the halls of Columbine High School, Rachel was known for her friendly and inclusive nature. She had a gift for connecting with people from all walks of life, making her a true friend to many. April 20th, 1999, was one of the first warm days of the spring. 
Rachel and one of her friends, Richard Castaldo, decided to take advantage of the nice weather and eat their lunch on the small hill just outside the school. Patrick Ireland was born on July 1, 1982, in Denver, Colorado. He grew up in a close-knit family that instilled in him values of perseverance and resilience from an early age. Patrick was a dedicated student with a passion for academics. He was known for his strong work ethic and commitment to his studies. As he entered high school, Columbine became a significant part of his life. Like many students at Columbine, Patrick was active in extracurricular activities. He was a member of the school's basketball and baseball teams, where he displayed determination and a competitive spirit. He also maintained a 4.0 grade average. In April 1999, Patrick was hoping his friend Laura would take the hint that he wanted to take her to prom. He was a confident young man, but found it difficult to directly ask her out. Eventually, she decided to go with someone else, and Patrick took his friend Cora to prom instead. The dance was held on Saturday night, April 17, 1999. He had a great time, eating with his friends at a fancy restaurant, driving into the city of Denver, and dancing the night away. He even got to share one slow dance with Laura. On April 20th, 1999, Patrick was tired. He had stayed up late to talk to Laura on the phone, but he had homework to catch up on. He was determined to make valedictorian. So at lunchtime, he went to the library to study. Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, both seniors at Columbine, had been planning an attack on the high school for over a year. The attack was supposed to be much more than just a shooting. First, two bombs placed in the cafeteria, known as the commons, would explode, killing or injuring everyone inside and possibly causing the second floor library to collapse into the commons. Harris and Klebold would wait outside and shoot any survivors trying to escape the destruction. They also planted bombs in their cars, hoping that those explosions would kill rescue workers there to help the injured. On April 20th, 1999, shortly before 11.15 a.m., just as a lunch was beginning, Harris and Klebold leave two duffel bags on the floor in the commons. The bags are overstuffed with huge propane tanks and rigged to explode at 11.17 a.m. They then go outside and wait for their plan to take shape. But the bombs don't explode. Harris and Klebold decide to proceed to the second part of the attack anyway. They move to the top of the stairs outside the west side of the building, above the commons. This was the highest point on campus and allowed them to see every exit on that side of the school. Each of them is holding a duffel bag. At 11.19 a.m., they pull out guns from their bags. Both boys have a shotgun and a semi-automatic weapon. They start shooting with the semi-automatics. Rachel Scott and Richard Castaldo are just feet away from the shooters, eating their lunch in the grass by the west exit. Harris hits Richard several times, and then hits Rachel in the chest and head. She dies instantly. 
Three students, Daniel Rorbo, Lance Kirkland, and Sean Graves, are also nearby. Thinking there was a prank going on and that the guns were paintball guns, they start walking up the stairs towards the shooters. Harris turns in their direction and fires. All three boys are hit. Danny is hit in the knee, chest, and abdomen. He dies quickly. Lance and Sean are hurt but alive. Lying at the bottom of the stairs, Lance feels someone above him and reaches out for help. It is Klebold who says, Sure, I'll help, before shooting Lance in the head. Amazingly, he survives. Sean is unable to move his legs. He crawls to the entrance to the commons, but does not have the strength to get inside. He lies stuck in the doorway. At one point, Klebold steps over him and enters the commons briefly before exiting again. Sean is left there in the doorway for several hours. Inside the commons, students are beginning to notice the commotion outside. Dave Sanders immediately recognizes the danger. He yells at the students to run, but most of them are either hiding under tables or continuing to mill about. Dave takes charge. He runs up the staircase that connects the commons to the upper level of the building. He yells and waves his arms as he runs, urging the students to follow him. Soon, nearly 500 students are running up the staircase under Dave's guidance. He waits until all of the students have passed by him and then directs them to an exit and safety. At 11.23 a.m., four minutes after the shooting began, Harris and Klebold approach the west entrance to the school. Teacher Patty Nielsen, accompanied by student Brian Anderson, is just inside the entrance. She has heard the noise of the shots, but assumes they are some kind of sick prank. She is on her way to tell the boys to knock it off. Harris sees her and fires from outside. The glass doors shatter, and both Nielsen and Anderson are struck by shrapnel. Aware now that the bullets are very real, they race to take cover in the library down the hall. From there, Nielsen calls 911. Jefferson County 911. Yes, I am a teacher called by high school. There is a student here with a gun. He has shot out a window. I believe one man has shot. Um, I've been high school. I don't know what's in my shoulder. If it was just a last one, too, what? Okay, has anybody been injured, ma'am? Yes. Okay. Yes, and the school is in a panic, and I'm in the library. I've got students down under the table, kids. Heads under the table. Um, kids are screaming. Some of the teachers um, are, you know, trying to take control of things. We need police here. We need okay, police. we're getting them there. Who is the student, ma'am? I do not know who the student is. Okay. I saw a student outside. I was in hold and hold but Okay, I was on hold and I saw a gun. I said, what's going on out there? And they said, oh, it's probably for video protection. It's probably a joke. I said, well, I don't think that's a good idea. And I went walking outside. I think he was damned. <laughs> what was going on. Okay. He turned the gun straight at us and shot. And my God, the window went out. And the kid standing there with me, I think he got hit. Okay. Something in my shoulder. Okay. We've got help on the way, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Oh, God. Stay in the line with me. Oh, God. Kids, just stay down. Do we know where he's at? I'm sorry? Do we know where he's at? Okay. I'm in the library. He's upstairs. He's right outside of here. He's outside? He's outside of this hall. Outside of a hall? Or outside of the hall. Okay. okay. There are alarms and things went off. Now smoke, my God, smoke is like coming into this room. Okay. okay. 
Yes, we've got a lot of people on. Okay, I just want you to stay in the line with me. I, we need to know what's going on. Okay. Okay. I am on the floor. Okay. You've okay. got the kids the there. Library. And I've got every student in this library on the floor. You better stay on the floor. Is there any way you can lock the doors? Um, smoke is coming in from out there, and I'm a little okay. The gun is right outside the library door, okay? I don't think I'm going to go out there. Okay, okay. you're okay. calling my high school. I got, I got three children. Okay, we got it. Okay? Um, I'm yeah. not going to go to the door to shut the, the door, okay? I've got the kids on the floor. Um, i got all the kids in the library on the floor. We have paramedics, we have fire, and we have police on route, okay, sir? Okay. Okay. Yes. This, I mean, he's, I, I don't know, just, I can't believe he's not out of the woods. He just keeps shooting and shooting and shooting. Okay, yeah, we've got a police officer on the scene. I thought it was. Okay, just try and keep the kids in the library calm. Yeah. Is there any way you can block the door so no one can get in? I do, I do not. Okay. I, yeah, I guess I can try to go, but I mean, he's right outside that door. I'm afraid to go to the That's no, okay. That's where he is. I'm afraid okay. to go there. Okay. That's okay. Okay, I told the kids to get on the floor. I told them to get under the table. All of the children are on the floor under the table. Um... Um, yeah, they're all under the tables. Okay. And, and as long as we can just try and keep... No one's saying a word. Okay, as long as we can keep everyone there as calm as we can. I hear some yelling out there going on right yeah, now. Yeah, we've got alarms going off now as well. Yeah, there's alarms. This room is filled with smoke. Okay. Okay. Keep everyone low to the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's up. Okay. Everyone stay on the floor. Stay on the floor. Stay under the tables. Okay. Um, I. I don't know. I. It's okay. I know. Just. I don't know. I didn't. I said, what? What is that kid got? He was outside at the time, and 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 um, I was on call duty. Oh God. And he's he's kind of he's like woo I know. I do not know who the student was. I don't even think I saw him, but he's wearing black. He didn't look very large. Um, male student. Um, he was out there shooting. It looked like he was climbing out and shooting. And somebody, I said, yeah. what is that? Mm -hmm. I said, what's going on out there? It's a fire cap gun. It's probably for video production. You know, they do these videos. Right. And the kids, I said, well, that's not, you know, a play gun, a real gun. I was going out there to say no. Mm-hmm. And I went, well, I said, oh, my God, that was really close. That's just, I don't know. Okay. What's your name, ma'am? My name is Patty. Patty? Neil Gardner, a sheriff's deputy who was assigned to security at the school, arrives to the scene after being alerted to gunfire in the area. He stops his car in the parking lot and gets out. Harris sees him and fires 10 rounds at him. Gardner takes cover behind the car and returns fire. Nobody on either side is hit. Harris and Klebold retreat into the building at 11.24 a.m. Dave Sanders is near the library, still trying to lead kids to safety. At 11.26, as he runs down a hallway, he sees Harris and Klebold at the other end. He quickly turns around and runs the other way. As he runs, he yells for students to get down and take cover. Just before he makes it around the corner, he is hit by two bullets, one in the neck and one in the back. He falls and starts to crawl forward. 
another teacher helps him into a science room, where other teachers and students will administer first aid for several hours. It's 11.29 a.m. as Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold make their entrance into the library. Inside, 56 students and staff members are held captive by the unfolding nightmare. As they step in, Harris opens fire, striking a copier stand and injuring Evan Todd. A hail of bullets claims the life of Kyle Velasquez, seated at a computer table, a helpless victim to Klebold's gunfire. The assailants place their ominous duffel bags on another computer table before gravitating towards the windows on the west side of the room. From there, they take aim at law enforcement officers outside, but their shots miss their intended targets. Now Klebold shifts his focus southward, where Patrick Ireland, Daniel Steepleton, and Mackay Hall huddle under a table. All three become victims of gunfire. Meanwhile, Harris directs his weapon under a computer table, ending the life of Stephen Kernow and injuring Casey Rooksegger. The once serene atmosphere of the library has given way to a harrowing nightmare. Emily Wyant and Cassie Bernal cower beneath a table near the window. Harris approaches their hiding place. Slamming his hand onto the table, he taunts them with a derisive peekaboo. Moments later, Cassie falls prey to his shotgun, its recoil striking Harris and breaking his nose. Klebold once again takes aim at Patrick Ireland's table, inflicting further injury on Patrick himself. The assailants move methodically to a table where Isaiah Scholes seeks refuge. Harris and Klebold spew racial slurs at Isaiah before Harris delivers the fatal shot. Klebold follows with a shot under the same table, claiming the life of Matthew Kector. Klebold fires under another table, striking Val Schnur, Lisa Krutz, and Lauren Townsend. Lauren does not survive, while Val endures a hail of shotgun pellets, crying out in agony. Klebold confronts her, questioning her belief in God leaving her to waver before affirming her faith. Miraculously, her life is spared. Harris targets another table, injuring Nicole Nolan and John Tomlin. Klebold follows suit, ending John's life with another cruel blast. The horror persists as Harris claims the life of Kelly Fleming, then fires under yet another table, injuring Gina Park and Lisa Krutz. The library's grim chronicle continues as Harris shoots and kills Daniel Mouser. Klebold rejoins his partner, and together they unleash their fury under another table, killing Corey DePooter and leaving Jennifer Doyle and Austin Eubanks wounded. At 11.36, after seven harrowing minutes, the perpetrators exit the library, leaving behind a scene of unspeakable tragedy. In that short span, Ten precious lives have been cruelly extinguished. For the next 30 minutes, Harris and Klebold wander around the school in an apparently random fashion. They enter the commons several times, attempting to detonate their failed propane bombs. By 12.05 p.m., they enter the library again. Around 12.06 p.m., Harris and Klebold move to the southwest corner of the library. Harris sits down against a bookshelf, puts his shotgun in his mouth, and fires. Dylan, standing nearby, shoots himself in the temple with his Tech-9 semi-automatic handgun. 
Both are killed instantly. About 50 minutes after the massacre began, it was over. Patrick Ireland goes in and out of consciousness in the library. During the moments when he is awake, he slowly moves himself toward the windows on the west side of the building. His right side is paralyzed and his movements are painfully slow. It takes him three hours to reach the window. He manages to pull himself up to the window ledge. TV cameras and law enforcement officials see him. An armored truck is pulled up beneath the window and two SWAT team members help him down. Patrick is taken to a hospital with critical injuries, including a gunshot wound to the head. In the science classroom, Dave Sanders lies bleeding on the floor. Students Aaron Hanley and Kevin Starkey are administering first aid to him, using their shirts to slow the flow of blood. But it has been three hours since Dave was shot. He is losing a lot of blood. Aaron and Kevin put a wool blanket over him to keep him warm. They ask him questions about his family to keep him talking, to keep him awake. Eventually, with no help arriving, Dave acknowledges that he is dying. I'm not going to make it, he says to the boys. Tell my girls I love them. Eventually, SWAT team members reach Dave. A paramedic is brought in to check his condition, but it is determined that he is beyond help. His body is left in the science room. Police had arrived on the scene very quickly, but did not enter the building until after the shooters were already dead. Instead, they surround the building and create a perimeter while tending to those injured outside. Eventually, SWAT teams are sent into the building, where they methodically search each room and evacuate any survivors. It is an excruciatingly slow process. Some survivors do not leave the building for more than four hours. Families of those killed are waiting in agony to hear if the children are okay. The bodies of those killed are left where they died for over a day. Danny Rorbo's body laid on the sidewalk at the bottom of the stairs for 28 hours. Grieving families are left without answers and without their loved ones' remains. Dave Sanders was hailed as a hero for his efforts to protect students during the attack. His family experienced profound loss and grief. They mourned his passing and had to navigate the complex process of healing. In the years following the tragedy, they also became involved in advocacy efforts related to school safety and gun control, using their experience to raise awareness and push for change. Dave's daughter, Angela, said at his funeral, What you did in that school on Tuesday was an amazing act of heroism. Even after you were hurt, you continued to be the brave, selfless man we all know you are. Dave was buried in Littleton's Chapel Hill Memorial Gardens. Since his death, Coach Dave Sanders has had a softball field at Columbine and a scholarship named after him to honor his memory and posthumously received the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage. A highway also bears his name. My dad saved hundreds of kids. He was outside and he saw what was happening and ran into the cafeteria and jumped up on the tables and told everybody to get down and move out. And then he ran up the stairs towards the library, um, I'm guessing to try to tell more kids to run and hide. And he was shot right outside of the library. 
Rachel Scott's legacy endured through the inspiring words and actions she left behind. Her family established the Rachel's Challenge program, which aims to inspire and empower students to create a culture of kindness and compassion in schools and communities. It uses Rachel's life and writings to encourage acts of kindness, promote tolerance, and combat bullying. Rachel's life story has been the subject of books, documentaries, and other media. Her diaries and journal, filled with her thoughts and aspirations, have been published to share her message of love and understanding. Her legacy serves as a reminder of the importance of empathy and understanding in our communities. Her tragic death has led to efforts to prevent violence, promote kindness, and create a more compassionate society. After her death, Rachel's car was turned into a makeshift memorial by her friends where it sat in the parking lot. In my eyes, she was just one of those kinds of people you know you won't ever meet again, Rachel's friend Lauren Beecham said of her. She was the kind of person only born once. Rachel was buried at Chapel Hill Memorial Gardens in the Columbine Memorial Garden in Little Hill, Colorado. Rachel's funeral was broadcast on CNN. Millions watched and cried with the rest of us. That's where story after story was told about Rachel. Stories her own family didn't even know. How Rachel went out of her way at school, reaching out to special needs students, new students, students who were picked on. She was never ever afraid of being her own person. That's what she wanted to be. And I always admired that strength that she had. Patrick was in the ICU for several days. He was paralyzed and struggled to speak clearly. Doctors did not believe he would ever walk again. He made small improvements in the first week, improving his speech gradually. He was moved to Craig Hospital, which specialized in brain and spinal cord injuries. He worked hard to get the pathways in his brain to relearn how to move his right leg. About a month after the shooting, he was able to make small movements. Later, he was able to walk with help from crutches or a walker. Eventually, he didn't even need those. He walked out of the hospital on July 2nd. Patrick's story of survival became an emblem of hope amidst the tragedy. His resilience and the support of his family and medical professionals led to a remarkable recovery. He went on to graduate from Columbine High School and later attended Colorado State University. His determination to overcome adversity and his positive outlook on life serve as beacons of inspiration to many. The way that I think back about it is honestly a sense of, of pride and, and hope, just knowing that everything that we went through and what we survived, and that picture or that video or that view, you know, essentially of me, you know, student fighting for their life, trying to get out, and ultimately that being a, a sense of uh, hope and a hopefully what, what could be conveyed as you know a beacon of light and strength and, and courage. Fifteen people lost their lives on April twentieth, nineteen ninety nine. They are Rachel Scott, seventeen; Daniel Rorbo, fifteen; William David Sanders, forty seven; Kyle Velasquez, sixteen. Stephen Kernow, 14. Cassie Bernal, 17. Isaiah Scholes, 18. Matthew Kector, 
16. Lauren Townsend, 18. John Tomlin, 16. Kelly Fleming, 16. Daniel Mouser, 15. Corey DePooter, 17. Eric Harris, 18. Dylan Klebold, 17. The motives behind the attack remain unclear. Harris and Klebold both harbored deep-seated anger and resentment, directed at both their peers and at society as a whole. Both also exhibited signs of psychological distress. Harris, in particular, displayed narcissistic and psychopathic traits, while Klebold struggled with depression. Their mental health issues likely contributed to their distorted views of the world. Over time, the pair escalated from discussing violent fantasies to planning and executing a mass shooting. They documented their intentions in journals, videos, and online forums, indicating a long-term obsession with violence. In the end, their motives were a complex interplay of personal issues, anger, mental health problems, and a fascination with violence. Their case serves as a tragic reminder of the importance of early intervention in identifying and addressing individuals who may be at risk of committing acts of violence. In the aftermath of Columbine, countless efforts have been made to prevent such horrors from occurring again. Columbine changed the way police agencies responded to active shooter events. Instead of holding the perimeter, as they did at Columbine, agencies were now trained to move toward the shots and try to neutralize the shooters as quickly as possible. If that technique had been used on April 20, 1999, several lives might have been saved. Dave Sanders would probably have survived. It is important to remember that this episode was not intended to sensationalize or exploit the tragedy, but to shed light on the profound consequences it had on the lives of those affected and the broader conversations it sparked. Our thoughts and hearts go out to the victims, survivors, and their families who continue to grapple with the pain and trauma. For this episode, we made extensive use of Dave Cullen's excellent book, Columbine. We also used Jeff Cass's book, Columbine, A True Crime Story. The diagrams shown on CNN's website about the event were also very helpful. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at disasterdecoded at gmail.com.